Tonight, as I mentioned this morning, I'm starting a new series. Uh, I'm starting a series on the Lord's Prayer. I hope it will be helpful to us all, especially as we think about the uh, prayer meeting changes that we're going to be taking place. Uh, I I trust that these meditations uh, will help us in the long run. I have the question here, who doesn't need to be taught to pray? Whose prayer life could not be improved? I believe that many of us desire to have a more meaningful prayer life. As uh, my custom is, as as some of you know, every uh, year when it comes uh, towards the new year, uh, I sit down and think about my life. I think about uh, where I need improvements. I think about uh, resolutions that I need to make. I think about uh, areas of of weakness uh, where I can learn more, I can develop more. And then I lay out for myself a reading program and a prayer program, et cetera, to try to achieve some of these things. And uh, this year, it centered upon the aspect of prayer. I really thought that, that uh, in my own life, uh, prayer was uh, not uh, where it ought to be. And uh, I really wanted to become, uh, first, uh, more of a prayer. And then secondly, uh, a better prayer. When I say better, not in the sense of eloquent or fluent, but uh, meaningful, helpful, uh, Christ-centered, useful in uh, the life of of the church. So um, with that in mind, as I've been thinking about about prayer, uh, what I was led to was uh, the Lord's Prayer. And one of the reasons I was led to the Lord's Prayer was thinking about the significance of the Lord's Prayer. What role should it play in our lives personally and in the life of the church? Now, just recently, I, I started reading a book, uh, and it's on here, uh, but I'll mention to it up front. It's on page four. It's a book written by Timothy Keller. It's entitled, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Uh, out of all the books that I've read on, on prayer, I've found this to be by far the most helpful. And I would commend that to you very much. Uh, Sarah got that for the library. It's out on the uh, book table. If you run out of here fast and you're the first person, uh, you can get it. Uh, but it's of such that I would certainly recommend uh, purchasing it. Uh, it's about 332 pages, I think. I read on Kindle, so don't hold me to the exact pages, as those of you know about reading on Kindle. But I think it's about 332 pages. Uh, I'm about a, a third of the way through uh, that uh, book. I've just uh, uh, discovered it. But I uh, tell you, I, I think it's very, very valuable. And uh, like many books, it centers uh, some discussion, not all by any means, on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, when I say what role should it play in our own lives and uh, in the lives of the church, I was, I was impressed with the significance of the Lord's Prayer in, uh, in public worship. Uh, many of you that uh, are familiar with liturgical services, uh, churches, uh, higher churches, uh, the Lord's Prayer is a staple in uh, the worship service. Uh, oftentimes, it's, it's prayed on 
a weekly basis. That's not our tradition. That's not been our, our heritage. And uh, I've always kind of wondered about that. And um, I didn't realize uh, the significance of the Lord's Prayer as it was viewed in, in church history, especially uh, in the time of the Reformation. Uh, when you think of John Calvin, you think of Martin Luther. Uh, but uh, back before them, Augustine. Uh, but Calvin and Luther put a tremendous uh, stress on the Lord's Prayer, teaching the Lord's Prayer, making sure that everyone knew the Lord's Prayer. That's one of the reasons for uh, reciting it on a weekly basis. It would, it would be a memorization tool that uh, everyone would know the Lord's Prayer. The Heidelberg Catechism, the uh, uh, Baptist Catechism, the Westminster Standards, uh, all of those great works uh, have as their central point the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer uh, as uh, an instructional tool. And as I, I was thinking about that, I really thought about how, how valuable it is uh, that uh, we reflect on the Lord's Prayer. Now, it can become rote, to be sure. It can get to a place of meaninglessness if you just begin to just go through the process, like anything can. But if you keep it fresh and you keep it uh, intentional, I think it would be of tremendous value. One of the ways in which Martin Luther used the Lord's Prayer personally was that uh, when he would go to prayer, he said that the Lord's Prayer helped him in terms of preparing himself to pray. Uh, He saw it as a starting point. He would uh, pray the Lord's Prayer and just think about elements that were found in the Lord's Prayer. And then he said, uh, as he prayed, he tried to pray in keeping with the overarching petitions and uh, praises of the Lord's Prayer. And it said that it helped him uh, in guarding his petitions, in guarding his thoughts, in guarding his desires. So it was used uh, in personal ways, and it was used in the life of the church. And uh, I will expand on more of that as the weeks go on. As I say, we're, we're going to be in this for a while, so I'm going to take a very slow approach to this. Uh, so the answer is, what role should it play? I think it should play a, a very important, significant role in the life of our church and our personal devotions. Uh, for in the Lord's Prayer, the, Lord pray, the Lord's Prayer teaches us both what and how to pray. The setting of the Lord's Prayer is different in Matthew and Luke. In Matthew, the setting is thematic in nature. What I mean by that is in Luke, we have the order of events that occur. Uh, in Matthew, uh, we don't have the order of events, but rather what we have is almost like a thematic or a uh, topical formation uh, for the teaching of the Word of God. So that in, 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 uh, uh, excuse me, uh, in, in, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, in Matthew, we have this thematic uh, approach. Uh, The emphasis on the placement of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is to stress the contrast between the way believers pray as opposed to non-believers. Jesus had been teaching about prayer 
And he said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now that doesn't necessarily address the Lord's prayer. He's just talking about prayer. And he's saying that there needs to be a difference. Prayer is to be sincere. It isn't to try to look or appear spiritual or even to obtain spirituality. Not to be hypocritical. We don't do this just so people pat us on the back or view us as being spiritual people because we pray so much. Uh, But rather, he says, enter into your own prayer closet, shut the door, don't let anybody know what you're doing, and just pray uh, sincerely. But the next statement introduces the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. All right. So that it's speaking about the emptiness of repetitious prayer. Uh, you think of uh, some religions that have mantras or chants uh, that people pray, um, that just over and over again, you think of the Catholic tradition of the rosary, of just of, of counting down and praying and, and repetitious. Uh, sometimes we might think that... Uh, how long we pray, okay? If we, if we pray for an hour, that's certainly more effective than if we pray for half an hour, which is better than if we just pray for 15 minutes. But that can be very empty. That can be something just, you know, trying to obtain God's favor by just going on and on and on and on. But he says, do not think that they will be heard for the many words, but do not be like them. So don't follow... Father, don't follow that model of prayer. Why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. All right? You don't have to instruct the Lord. You don't have to inform the Lord as to what is taking place. Keep in mind who you're, you're speaking to. So he then says, pray like this. And then he gives us the model prayer. <clears throat> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. So in Matthew we have this thematic Uh, rendering the Lord's Prayer given to counteract the way in which non-believers pray. The theme tonight is Jesus teaches us how to pray as a result of the disciples' request, which comes from Luke. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So that is the occasion, if you will, for the Lord's Prayer. It was a desire that came from one of the disciples, probably speaking on behalf of the rest of the disciples, being the mouthpiece for the rest of them, saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, of all the requests they could have made, I think that that is one of the the best requests that uh, come from the mouths of the disciples. And I think that's a request that we should make as well. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, Teach us how to pray. Uh, Teach us what to pray. And I'm hoping that uh, the Lord will use this series, but uh, obviously 
There's more to it than just the, the series that I'm going to present. So I would say to you, uh, let us begin by asking the Lord on a regular basis uh, to teach us to pray. So why do the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray? What motivated or prompted that request? Luke 11.1, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. A, the disciples, or more accurately, a specific disciple's request was motivated by two things, according to this verse. First, the disciples were motivated to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray as a result of witnessing Jesus' own prayer life. It was Jesus' prayer life that caused them to say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Hey, the language of verse 1 is a bit odd. One would expect, as it does, that the text would read, when Jesus had finished praying, one of the disciples said to him, teach us to pray. Luke 11 one says, now when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So you would think grammatically that it would simply say uh, that uh, when Jesus had finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. But the way in which this grammar is, is formed, the, this aspect of verse 1 being introduced with this, this clause, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Uh, the NAS translates it, and it came about that while he was praying in a certain place. It's a participle. And the thought is the disciples waited respectfully for Jesus to finish praying. They did not interrupt him while he was praying, but there's more to it than that. However, the stress is that it was while Jesus was praying that the disciples desired to be taught how to pray. It was what prompted the desire. It was while Jesus was praying. They, they, they are watching Jesus pray. Maybe they are hearing him pray. I don't know if they were able to uh, audibly, uh, able to hear what Jesus was saying, but it was Jesus' prayer life that caused them to say, Master, you teach us how to pray. See, it was in observing Jesus pray that the disciples wanted to learn how to pray. Perhaps they had in mind to learn to pray better, more effectively, fervently. Uh, maybe they were saying uh, more diligently. Uh, it's a broad request and could take on many different forms, but I would submit to you that it's primarily uh, how to pray in terms of what to pray because Jesus says, say these words. So Jesus is most concerned about content as opposed to form, all right? Not should you stand, should you sit, should you knee, should you close your eyes, should you fold your hands. Uh, I did a, a series one time on the... Uh, positions of prayer in the scripture. And I, I found that to be, be very valuable uh, personally, uh, looking at the positions of prayer. Uh, you will read sometimes in the scripture where people stand to pray. Uh, many times uh, publicly, the Israelites would, would stand and pray. Uh, one of the symbols of standing to prayer, to pray, is to symbolize that you're ready to act. You're ready to hear from God. 
you're ready to move out. Uh, we have come. We're seeking God's favor. Uh, we are asking God to move and direct. And so we're ready to step out as God will lead us through prayer. Uh, there is kneeling in prayer, which has the sense of begging, of uh, earnest desire that God would uh, answer the prayer. Uh, there is a laying flat uh, with your face to the ground in prayer. That is absolute submission. That is saying, uh, God, whatever you want from me. Uh, all these different forms. Uh, when I could get up and get down easier in my own private prayer life, uh, I used to adopt some of those things. I, it's hard for me now to lay on my face and get up. So I've kind of removed that from my own personal prayer time. But I would find these things valuable for me just to think through what I was doing, what I was asking God, what was I seeking from God. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't deal with those, those aspects. It, it's not a how-to in terms of, of uh, particular forms or times or, or any of those things. It's about what to pray. It's about content is the essence of the Lord's Prayer. Number two, the second motivation on the part of the disciples to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray was the example set forth by John the Baptist's ministry. Verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And now these words, as John taught his disciples. So the disciples of Jesus were aware that John the Baptist had taught his disciples how to pray, and not wanting to be outdone, they wanted their master to teach them how to pray. B, now the disciples of Jesus want Jesus to teach them how to pray. C, certainly prayer is a theme which many spiritual leaders have taught. Okay, they're, they're almost any religious leader at some point if they are writers of any uh, amount of literature have produced manuals uh, thoughts on how to pray. The numbers of books that teach us about prayer are almost innumerable. Uh, they are just out there and take many different forms. Uh, some are much more devotional in nature. Some are much more theological in nature. Uh, some are practical how-tos. Uh, there's a full gamut as you uh, read uh, all this, this material. Um, I personally probably have, I didn't take time to count them, I probably have 40 books on, on prayer, and that is by no means exhaustive, by, as I say. And they, you can put them into categories of devotional and how-tos and, and um, you know, kingdom kind of prayers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's one of the reasons I really would uh, recommend the book by Timothy Keller. Uh, for it's a balanced approach. He deals with the theological first, which I think is a good approach. Then he deals with the practical he deals with the, the whole aspect of uh, trying to develop more of our personal relationship with the Lord through prayer. Then he deals with the kingdom aspect of uh, trying to pray in such a way for the furtherance of the kingdom. 
not just our own personal communion and personal requests, but thinking about the broader purpose of God and how to affect our world and so on. It's a very, very balanced approach. I, again, recommend it to you and uh, think it would be a benefit. D. Uh, Indeed, people of all faiths, and this is a quote from Timothy Keller. Indeed, people of all faiths and even no faith pray. Even deliberately non-religious people pray at times. Studies have shown that in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who have no religious preference, but even by many of those who do not believe in God. One 2004 study found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes. Another found that 17% of non-believers in God, now notice this, pray regularly. Pray regularly. Uh, I have found that uh, prayer is, is one of those things that, that most people won't refuse. If I'm in uh, a hospital setting and there is more than one person in the uh, room, uh, it is my uh, practice normally when uh, you know, the curtain is drawn uh, open, I mean, and there is the person laying next to bed. I usually uh, say to the person that's lying in bed, I'm about ready to pray for, and I'll give the name of the person I'm praying for, and I say, uh, and I'd be happy to include you in my prayer if you would like. And I give them the option, would you like me to pray for you? And uh, if they say yes, I say, well, uh, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, what can I pray? And then I usually ask them what they're in for, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then I pray for the person that I came to visit, and I pray for the other person. Uh, I can count on one hand the number of times that people will say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Uh, that is totally unoffensive. Most people are pleased and happy if you are going uh, to pray with them. Some people are looking for someone to pray. I remember one time, uh, quite a few years ago, uh, walking out of Hershey Medical Center, and uh, I was carrying a Bible. I don't carry a Bible anymore because I carry uh, my cell phone with a Bible on it. But um, in those days, I I was carrying a Bible. And... uh, a person stopped me, and they, they said, uh, I see you're carrying Bible. Are you, a, are you a minister? I said, yes, I am. And they said, oh, would you pray for me? And then they went through this situation of what they were just diagnosed with and, and wanted uh, me to pray for them. I was an absolute stranger, but they were just more than happy to have someone pray for them. A prayer is almost universal. Moving on then to this quote. Does this mean then that everyone prays? No, it does not. Many atheists are rightly offended by the saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. There are many people who do not pray even in times of extreme danger. Still, though prayer is not literally a universal phenomenon, it is a global one, inhabiting all cultures and involving the overwhelming majority of people at some point in their lives. Efforts to find cultures, even very remote and isolated ones, without some form of religion and prayer, excuse me, have failed. There has always been some form of attempt 
to communicate between human and divine realms. There seems to be a human instinct for prayer. Swiss theologian Karl Barth calls it, quote, incurable God sickness. And he, he says it in that way because mankind uh, has wandered from God, as Romans chapter 1 teaches us, but yet it seems like it's just an impart, an innate part of our having been created in the image of God that there is this desire to seek God's help. Now, you look at that, and then you say, well, how does that fit theologically when it says that there's no one who understands, there is no one who seeks after God? Well, it's because of the first statement there, no one understands. Uh, There is a selfish interest in coming to a higher being. Uh, A wishful thinking, if you will. Uh, A last hope that maybe there is someone, something, some power out there that can help me in my distress. No desire to pray for that deity to be honored, to be glorified, for his name to be hallowed. Uh, for his will to be done. It's very selfish. It's, it's quite different. But yet, what I'm saying to you is this sense of need, this, this sense of inadequacy, uh, this sense of a, at least a hope in some higher being that indeed is virtually universal. Uh, there is no major culture that doesn't have some form of religion and some kind of prayer. E, should there not be differences in which various groups and belief systems pray? In other words, shouldn't what we believe about God affect the way we pray? Shouldn't there be a correlation? To say prayer is nearly universal is not, however, to say that all prayer is the same. Prayer represents a dizzying variety. This is a quote again. I should have these in quotes. But this is a quote again. To say prayer is nearly universal is not, however, to say that all prayer is the same. Prayer presents a dizzying variety to the eye of the observer. Just look at the religious uh, trances of Native American shamanists, uh, the chanting in Benedictine monasteries, devotees doing yoga in Manhattan offices, the hour-long pastoral prayers of the 17th century Puritan ministers, speaking in tongues in Pentecostal churches, Muslims engaging in sahad with foreheads, uh, hands, and knees on the ground toward Mecca, Hasidism, swaying and bowing in prayer, and the Anakin priest reading from the Book of Common Prayer. This leads to the question, in what ways are all these kinds of prayers the same, and what ways are they different? What does universal prayer have in common? What does, uh, what significant differences should we have? So F, should we not want Jesus to teach us to pray? All right. the, the, the need is that we follow Jesus' instruction in prayer. He said, don't pray like the non-believers do. Two, note that Jesus responds positively to the request of the disciples by teaching them what to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now when he said pray these words, it didn't necessarily mean that you had to to pray these words word for word. Certainly Jesus prayed, 
and pray different things at different times. We read many prayers in the scriptures. Uh, a, a book by uh, Pink uh, on uh, gleanings uh, in uh, Pauline epistles, I think it's called, uh, is a study of Paul's prayers uh, in the New Testament. And uh, you will find him praying things that are not just the Lord's Prayer over and over again. But it provides us for a type of understanding what to pray. Not necessarily the exact words, but these kind of petitions. My point is that Jesus answers their request. He doesn't say that's foolish. He doesn't say, why in the world would I want to do that? He teaches them what to say. Thus we learn that Jesus is pleased with the request of the disciples. As I say, see, we're going to take a slow and rather extensive consideration of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this isn't even my whole introduction. Uh, I've got introduction part two next time as we look at uh, this uh, whole aspect of the Lord's Prayer. Lessons. A. Observing the prayer life of others can be a great incentive to our own prayer life. Going back to the fact that it was seeing Jesus pray, perhaps hearing Jesus pray, was the initiative for the disciples say, teach us to pray. So therefore, number one, we can be an example to others both in prayerfulness and in how to pray. Two, we bless our family in our times of prayerfulness. What I'm saying to you is, is we even are a blessing to our family members as our little children see us pray. That has an impact. Okay? Uh, Observed behaviors. If you are seen as a person of prayer. Now, back to this whole thing of praying in your own closet. Again, we aren't praying in order to be seen, but just the fact that, that we do pray on a regular basis is impactful. Our children see that that is valuable to us. That is important to us. Just as reading the scripture is important to us. As they see us do that, they realize that's part of what makes us tick. So we can bless our families in times of our, of our prayerfulness. We bless our co-workers and friends in our times of prayerfulness. In just praying with other people. A number of years ago, it's pretty many years ago uh, now, uh, Mabel Kimmel has been coming to our, our, our church uh, a, a number of years ago, I uh, decided I wanted to be much more intentional about sharing my faith. And uh, I was going to McDonald's uh, almost uh, every morning for breakfast. And uh, there was a, a lady there that she was behind the uh, counter. And uh, as I stepped up to the counter, I saw that uh, she had uh, tears in her eyes. And I, I said to her, what, what, what's wrong? Why? Why? Why are you crying? And she said, well, my husband is having open heart surgery. And she said, I I just couldn't take off work, but he's going through uh, surgery right now. I wish I was there. And I said to her, and there's 
people behind me in, in line, about four people deep and, and so on. And, and I said to her, I, I said, I really feel for you. May, may I pray for you and for your husband? And she said, oh, would you? And I said, I'd be happy to. And I just stopped and I prayed out loud. I just, I prayed for this, this woman. I prayed uh, for her husband. And people were kind of just observing as, as I did that. Uh, and so um, what happened, because there were some regulars there, that uh, after I prayed for them, then I, I went and uh, I sat down and then somebody else came up to me uh, a little while later and said, uh, would you pray for me? I noticed you prayed for that woman. I said, I'll be happy to. They sat down in the booth and they, they prayed with me. Okay, so a uh, little time later, Mabel Kimmel and uh, her husband came, and, and uh, he's kind of a gruff kind of, kind of guy. He was in his 70s, and uh, he said, uh, you're the one who prays with people, right? And I said, uh, yes, I, I am. He said, uh, would you pray for me? And I said, I'll be happy to pray for you. Sit down, and we started talking, and uh, I said, uh, uh, what can I pray for you for? Well, he'd just been diagnosed with, with cancer. And um, I said, well, uh, let me pray. And, uh, and I prayed, and, I, and I, after that I said, but you know, I said, the greatest need you have is, is not to be cured from this cancer. It's to be sure that when you die, you're going to be in the presence of God. And I said, not as judge, but as, as Heavenly Father, and welcomed into his presence. And I, and I, saw, I started to talk to him about his need for a personal Savior. He said, I'm not interested in that stuff. He said, all I want is prayer, but I don't want this other stuff. I said, okay. And uh, so I, I got to pray with him uh, a few times. We, we got to talk. And then there was a, 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 they had just moved up here from Delaware. And their next door neighbor uh, used to attend our church in Delaware. And she came up here uh, to witness to um, Mabel's husband and uh, to Mabel. And... uh, invite him to church. So she, she went to talk to him, and he said, well, thank you very much, but he said, I, I haven't gone to a, a church in 50 years, and he was pretty proud of that, and he didn't want anything to do with going to church. And then he said, and uh, he said, if I went anywhere, I'd go to that Reverend Reed's church. But he said, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, so she started talking, and she said, that's the church I was going to recommend. And she, she talked to him, and uh, so she called me on the phone, and she said, um, you know, I think, he's, I think he's open to you. If you, if you want to go talk to him, I, I think he'd listen. So I said, okay. I got in my car, and I went out to see them, and uh, both of them made a profession of faith in their 70s. And uh, Mabel continued on, walking with the Lord. And uh, what I'm saying is, you know, just praying can be an example to people. It, it, it can be a benefit to individuals. Uh, we can bless our coworkers and friends in our times of prayerfulness. And, and, and just bowing your head 
Okay, and again, it's not showing off, but, but it's just being willing to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're in restaurants, to, if you're by yourself, to, to pray. If you're, if you're with your family, I think, you know, again, not to show off or whatever, but it's, if it's your natural process, okay? I don't think we ought to be something in public that we're not in private. But if it's your everyday practice, to pray before meals audibly, then I don't think there's anything wrong with praying before meals audibly when you're out to eat. And you know there might be somebody at another table or whatever, but just to hear somebody pray uh, might have an impact. It might encourage someone. Okay? What I'm saying to you is, is our own prayerfulness can be an encouragement to others. We can be an encouragement to others both when they see us and when they hear us pray. B, we need to be taught how to pray. Just as the disciples of Jesus needed to be taught how to pray, and the followers of John the Baptist need to be taught how to pray, so too we need to be taught how to pray. Number one, parents need to teach their children how to pray. We need to go beyond teaching them to close their eyes, bow their heads, and fold their hands. Children need to be instructed in the content of their prayers. How to pray. What kind of things to be praying for. Those catechisms that I mentioned, the Heidelberg Catechism, the uh, Baptist uh, Catechism, uh, center around the Lord's Prayer to teach their children how to pray. Teaching our children that that's the proper response to prayer, is is to pray. If our kids come to us upset... One of the things we ought to do is pray for them and ask for God to help them. If our children are scared, you know, there's this, this thunderstorm, and they have a tendency to, when they're little, you know, to run to mommy and daddy's bed uh, where they're going to feel safe, okay? And they crawl up next to you, and uh, they feel comfortable because you're in control. That's a time to pray. And to tell them, you know, I have no more control over this storm than you do. But there's one who does. There is one who can keep us safe. And that's, that's God. And we ought to pray for his protection. And not just rely upon my protecting you, because I can't. Okay? And teaching them little on that the first resource to go to is indeed the Lord. Two, more mature Christians need to teach Christians who are younger in their faith how to pray. A, some people shy away from prayer meeting because they feel uncomfortable praying with others. Prayer meeting can be a very good setting in learning how to pray as we pray with others. Praying with more mature Christians. Listening to them pray. Feeling more comfortable as we pray. So see, pair up with someone that you feel comfortable with and can benefit from. Uh, I'm really pushing uh, prayer meeting. Obviously, not everybody can come on Wednesday nights. I understand that. There are work schedules. There, there are all kinds of reasons. This is not about trying to make people feel guilty. This is not about legalism. I'm just saying to you, I think there's value in gathering together as a people to pray. And if you're able to do that, I would highly commend it to you. Uh, I think it would be a benefit for you 
as well as for others. People can benefit from your prayers, and you can benefit from their prayers. Three, true prayer does not come naturally to us. The key word there is true. True prayer does not come naturally to us. Left on our own, we'll pray. But left on our own, we won't pray in a right way. We're going to pray like the heathens do. We're going to pray like the non-believers do. A very self-centered hope that this God is going to deliver from the particular disease, hardship, or whatever case that we are in, but not developing any communion, any fellowship with God, no sense of the greater purposes of God in in saving us, his kingdom's work, his purpose in us, that, uh, uh, again, he may be wanting to teach us through these sufferings, through the hardships that we're going through. All of that is going to be lost. All of that has to be, be taught. So prayer is to be uniquely Christian in nature. When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Number one, prayer is a religious activity that people of many different faiths involve themselves in. However, our prayers as true believers in God should be different from those who do not really know him. One thing among many that distinguishes our prayer life is that it follows the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where we are going to begin on this uh, study, and again, I hope that it will be valuable. So one of the things, uh, one of the applications, I would say, is you know, pray for this series. Uh, pray for our worship services, that, that God would work in our midst, that, that God would reveal himself, that the Holy Spirit would take his word and apply it to our hearts in life changing ways. Uh, would you, I beg of you when, you, when you're driving to church, w- w- would you pray for me? Would you pray for the Sunday school teachers? Would you pray for yourself to be open and receptive, wanting to hear from God, wanting to really meet with God, wanting to have a, an experience of God strengthening and, and, uh, and, and encouraging, rebuking, and uh, transforming us more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Will you pray? Will you pray? And will you pray for your brother and sister in Christ, that we might grow, that we might uh, be more diligent in exercising ourselves unto the things of godliness, that, that we would not quench or grieve the Spirit. There are so many things that we can pray for one another. Uh, I, I just would ask that we might be uh, ever more prayerful. And I'm not uh, assuming that there aren't those of you who do pray. I'm not saying that there aren't people who who think about praying. But one of the things that that I miss when we think about examples, when we think about prayerfulness, uh, prayer was a very important thing to my father. He was, he was a great example in that. And uh, while my father was alive, I can probably count on one hand the times that he missed calling me on a Saturday night and saying, I'm praying for you as you present the word tomorrow. And he would pray with me over the phone. Virtually 
every Saturday night. What a wonderful thing to have someone like that that is praying for you. May we be those kinds of people in each other's lives. May we hold it up. You know, if there's someone in the family who's teaching Sunday school, the spouse to pray for that person, the children to pray for mommy or daddy as they are presenting the word of God, children to pray for their Sunday school teacher. All of these can be incredibly, not just instructional, but actually beneficial life-changing events in the life of our church uh, if, if we would pray in that way. Let's pray. Our Father, help us uh, to be a praying people. Uh, Lord, may we learn to, move, learn to move from duty to delight, uh, to pray not just because we have to or we should, but because we really want to, because we see its value, we see its importance, we see it as a way of glorifying you. We, we see it as a way of demonstrating our dependence, realizing our inadequacies, realizing our weaknesses, realizing how desperately uh, incapable we are of spiritual transformation or of helping others. Uh, Lord, ultimately, it is your spirit, it is your grace. Uh, so, Lord, uh, help us to guard against this individual, individualistic uh, independence, but, Lord, to be dependent and to acknowledge the need for instruction, acknowledge the need when it comes to making decisions. Uh, Lord, that uh, we are we're constantly praying your will to be done. Uh, help us, and uh, Lord, uh, use us in each other's lives. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.